Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Wednesday, the 24th of March, and on today's briefing, Katrina Blowers, regional gentrification. Well, Tom Tilly, since COVID, regional property markets are going off Mm. and locals are being slammed. I've seen my rent more than double in three years. Yeah, cashed up Sydney and Melbourne people are buying up property, which is pushing up prices, but also rents. Unless you're happy to live in a happy house situation where you're sharing bedrooms, renting out the garage as well, most Mm. people can't afford the rent. Yeah, we'll find out about the real impact of the post-COVID property boom in just a moment. First, here's what's happening today. Prime Minister Scott Morrison has apologised for lashing out at a journalist during a nationally televised news conference yesterday. Here's what the Prime Minister said after he was asked about the sexual misbehaviour of staffers at Parliament House. You'd be aware in your own organisation that there is a person who has had a complaint made against them for harassment of a woman in a women's toilet. And that matter is being pursued by your own HR department. Yeah, that allegation kind of came out of almost nowhere and it provoked a very heated response. Here's Labor's Tanya Plibersek. Is it any wonder victims of sexual assault and sexual harassment in this building and around Australia are afraid of coming forward when the Prime Minister of this country uses a confidential complaint in a nationally televised media conference as a way to try and stop journalists asking questions about these important issues? And so late last night in a Facebook post, the Prime Minister responded saying that those comments were insensitive. Not only was the claim insensitive, it was actually completely wrong, Tom. Uh, News Corp, the owner of Sky News, said there was no sexual harassment incident and no complaint, just a verbal argument between two women. Yeah, and I think what really fired people up about that was that the Prime Minister seemed to know what was going on at Sky News, but he didn't know about mm. what was going on with Brittany Higgins in his own Defence Minister's office. Yeah, that's it. So uh, that moment partly overshadowed the rest of his comments, which were in fact really emotional from yesterday's press conference. He acknowledged the mistreatment of women in Australia. I thought it was quite powerful. And the recent allegations of sexual misconduct in Parliament House. This is not something that is of a scale that any government can simply change. It is something we must change as a society because we know it happens all over this country. But for me and my house, then we must take responsibility. It's our problem here. Yeah, so he he was fairly uh, authentic as he actually stood up and dealt with the problem head on. He even uh, acknowledged that some of his own responses to the recent scandals had been disappointing. So this statement from the Prime Minister yesterday followed the reports on Monday night on Channel 10 about men performing sex acts in female MPs' parliamentary offices. Yeah, and in his statement, the PM acknowledged that his responses to the scandals of the last few weeks had been disappointing and he made a commitment to provide more leadership. These events have triggered right across this building and indeed right across the country. Women who have put up with this rubbish and this crap for their entire lives, as their mothers did, as their grandmothers did. And it's been going on. We've been talking about it in this place for a month. They've been living with it for their entire lives. So, Katrina, apart from mistakenly uh, lashing out at Andrew Clonell, the journalist, do you get the sense that the Prime Minister has turned the corner and changed his thinking about the violence and harassment women face? 
I think certainly people thought that his tone and the the way that he framed his comments, he he got it right. But where he's, I guess, come under fire is it's kind of a little too late to be saying this stuff now. He should have been saying it perhaps a week ago. Maybe he should have even said it to the women at these uh, protest marches on um, Monday a week ago. So look, he is listening and it was powerful, but I guess those comments about uh, the allegations at Sky News really undermined it all. Yeah, the other interesting thing he said was that he was supportive of quotas to get more women into Parliament. So Labor have a a quota and they're almost at 50-50 representation. The coalition is still three quarters men. So that was quite interesting too. I think he really does need now to salvage some credibility on this issue and take some action. Interesting too that he's now revealed he has gone to the Solicitor General for advice on his attorney General Christian Porter. Now, the Solicitor General provides advice to the government on legal matters, and there have been calls for Scott Morrison to go to the Solicitor General on this for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and at the time, the Prime Minister said that wasn't necessary, but now he's revealed he has gone to the Solicitor General to ask about whether Christian Porter can continue as Attorney General, given the allegations he's been facing. Interestingly, Tom, uh, the Prime Minister said that he will be making further decisions around this issue and he will keep us posted. And the rain has finally eased after a week of very heavy rain uh, causing havoc along the east coast of Australia. But in the flood zones, they're not out of the woods yet. Um, There's a huge body of water still making its way down those already swollen rivers. The effects of that might not be seen for the next couple of weeks. More than 18,000 people have now been evacuated from southeast Queensland all the way down to the Victorian border. They're waiting to return to their homes and they just don't know what they're going back to. 12,000 insurance claims have been lodged and the damage bill is expected to top $2 billion. Across New South Wales today, 260 schools remain closed and residents on the Hawkesbury River at Windsor, north of Sydney, are still stranded. The total rainfall um, has gone over one metre in two towns just near Port Macquarie, so it's just an absolutely huge amount of rain. And I guess it's it's not just the, the physical damage from these floods, it's also the mental burden, Katrina. What what a crazy year to go from bushfires, especially yeah. in some of those communities on the mid-north coast and around the northwest of Sydney, um, then COVID and now this flood. I know, you've just got a feel for everyone. And they say that these things only happen once in a generation or once in 50 years, but gosh, it just feels like all these things have happened all at once. And the AstraZeneca vaccines that have been produced here in Australia have got the green light. Uh, the first batches will go out very soon. Federal Health Minister Greg Hunt said the approval of those first four batches of the local doses signal a real step up in Australia's response to the pandemic. It should lead to a great deal of confidence, not just here in Australia, but around the world. These vaccines are literally saving lives and protecting lives. Now, that approval covers more than 800,000 doses, but each new batch of the vaccine will have to go through that same process. And a 21-year-old man in the US is facing 10 charges of murder following a shooting spree in Colorado. Ahmad al-Alawi Alisa opened fire at a supermarket in the city of Boulder yesterday. Police and SWAT teams soon surrounded the building, exchanging fire with the gunman before he was shot in the leg. Yeah, so 10 people, including a police officer and a store manager, were killed in the massacre. And tragically, this comes after eight people were killed in a separate shooting last week at Asian massage spas in Atlanta. 
A blood-soaked flag has been cancelled. Hobart's Dark Mofo Festival has backed down on its decision to feature an artwork that involved soaking a flag in blood following a backlash and accusations of exploitation. So this work was from a Spanish artist called Santiago Sierra and he was going to soak the Union Jack in the blood of First Nations people from former British colonies. Um, So this meant that literally Indigenous people were asked to donate blood as part of the process. Yeah, and Tom, Indigenous Australians are among those voicing opposition to the piece saying it's exploitative. Others have said maybe if the artist wasn't Spanish but was in fact an Indigenous artist, this Mm. might have made more sense. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. Um, <laughs> crazy story. Um, people messaging me about it yesterday on Instagram going, can you believe this is happening? And the next minute I, I find out that it's been cancelled. Now, this festival actually thrives on this kind of publicity. Um, it, it really does a lot of sort of shock value tactics. So it's got everyone talking about Dark Mofo. A few years ago, um, there was a big uproar about this exhibition where this guy dismembered a cow carcass live as part of Oh my goodness. (laughs) Okay. But look, we are talking about it, so I guess their shock tactics have worked. All right, in a moment, the dark side of the tree change. First home buyers are rushing for the regions. Looking for charm, a better lifestyle and affordability. The government appears eager to promote this mobility. Get out of the hustle and bustle of the city and come to a regional area. The coronavirus pandemic has already pushed the trend with one in five metropolitan residents looking for either a tree or a sea change. Well, it's not just media hype like that. The stats actually back up that story. Record numbers of Australians are moving to the country, Katrina. Well, the latest Regional migration figures from the ABS show 11,000 people are leaving our cities every quarter and they are not going overseas anymore. Yeah, so guess what that is doing? It's jacking up house prices in regional areas. Today on The Briefing, regional gentrification, how cashed up people from the cities are pricing locals out of their own housing markets. Yeah, for decades we've seen gentrification happen in our cities. I mean, you think about Brooklyn or Harlem in New York, you think Mm. about Collingwood, Fitzroy in Melbourne, Surrey Hills, Redfern in Sydney, um, places where low income earners are getting priced out of their home suburbs. Yeah, now it's happening in regional Australia too. Regional house prices are outpacing city prices for the first time in 15 years. Some recent data from CoreLogic found that regional house prices grew four times as fast as those city markets in the 12 months Mm. to January. Yeah, so some examples. In regional Tassie, house prices are up 14% over the last year. The Sunshine Coast is up by a similar amount. Ostermere, north of Wollongong, is up 40%. And no surprise, as Byron Bay has gone up <laughs> massively by yeah. uh, 37% in the last year, according to the New South Wales Real Estate Institute. The flow-in effect, I guess, Tom, is renting has become super tough. CoreLogic data shows regional rental prices have risen faster than those in Sydney. They're up by 7%. So let's find out how that's affecting people in these regional areas. Nikki Yasti has been renting around the Byron Bay area for decades. She's now been forced to Mullum and now after that, Lennox Head. Nikki, thank you for joining us. How hard has it been to find a rental property around Byron? Impossible, actually, uh, particularly if you're someone who's in the average income, uh, which, of course, all of Byron's workers pretty much are. 
Um, but it's, this has been a, an increasing problem that we've been seeing over the last 10 years or so. It was started long before COVID, but certainly um, this last COVID year has made it ridiculous. So what's the impact been on your life and, and where you've had to move to? I've seen my rent more than double in three years. Wow. So three years ago, the place that I had been living in environment for uh, 20 years was sold. I had six months notice, which I would have thought would have been ample time to find something. But when I seriously started looking, the minimum price three years ago was $650 a week. And that was for something that really wasn't livable, <laughs> like nothing livable. So, you know, back then the average rental was between $900 and $1,100 a week for buying and it's, you know, blown out uh, way above that now. Um, so it's, it's actually impossible to find a rental in Byron now. And, um, you know, some people have managed to move into other areas of Byron Shire. However, the prices anywhere in Byron Shire are now reflective of Byron prices. You know, unless you're happy to live in a happy house situation where you're sharing bedrooms, renting out the garage as well, most mm. people can't afford the rent. So you've been pushed from Byron to Mullum. You're now renting in Lennox Head. Um, yes. Have, have you given up any hope of ever being able to buy a house in that area? Oh, totally. You know, I, I did give that up a long time ago. Um, the place that I was in, in Byron, for instance, when I first moved there, I could have had that unit for about 118000 Three years ago, that sold for 780000 Oh, wow. So that was a big increase. But now that, that property is now worth about $1.5 So, you know, it's <sighs> nearly doubled in three years in value. Can you tell us the kind of stress that this has added to your life? Well, I'm a community worker. I have done, you know, I've, I've been very involved in youth work, uh, in particular mental health, drug and alcohol work, and I run the Byron Schoolies Safety Response. So for me, um, that means that for 18 days and nights annually, I am in Main Beach Park 24 hours a day. And for me now, um, that means travelling 40 minutes each way. I think that I would find that a bit of an impossible task because normally I would be in and out of the schoolies hub maybe three or four times a day, but I'd be there on average for 16 to 20 hours a day, travelling back and forth from Byron to Lennox and especially in the early hours of the morning or something like that when I've been there all night for 17 days and nights. I don't think I'll be doing that anymore. So you're you're an essential part of the community. You're part of the fabric of of Byron Bay. You're working in crucial services, helping the yes. most vulnerable. What's the last year been like when you've seen all this, this money coming in from people moving to your area from Sydney and Melbourne, buying up houses? Look, it's been a gut-wrenching thing to watch and to experience. And I've seen so many have to leave. And they're not just leaving to move down the road or move to you know, another little township. They're leaving altogether. That leaves Byron without the eyes and ears of the most important people in our community and those that do the kind of work that money doesn't pay you for. Those sort of volunteer workers and the the real community workers, without them, you start to see an increase in things like crime, drug and alcohol use amongst young people, 
um, you know, it's already there's there's quite an impact on the community. You know, people seem to think that Byron is this amazing, wonderful holiday destination of their dreams. Well, for local people living there, it's the biggest nightmare. Tourism is the biggest nightmare on Byron, um, and particularly the holiday let platforms such as Airbnb. When we started to see 50% of our properties, which is pretty much it now, um, becoming Airbnb full-time, so we're talking about houses that used to be residential homes for our essential workers, uh, well, they're now holiday makers. The vibe has gone. Uh, there is no vibe anymore. That was Nikki Yardsty from um, Now Lennox Head, but... Katrina, a foundational member of that community. It just broke my heart listening to her story. You could actually hear the pain in her voice of the the stress that it's caused in her life. Yeah, gut-wrenching, she said. And I know that feeling, like even as a young person in Sydney, when you see you, you sort of your future plans sort of getting priced out, that you can't live in your community where you want to be, it is gut-wrenching. Let's, let's get the perspective of a local councillor in Byron Bay to see what's being done to look after locals as this money comes in from um, cashed-up city buyers. Sarah Njai is a councillor on the Byron Bay Local Council. She's also a school teacher. Sarah, what can be done to protect locals against these waves of cash from Sydney and Melbourne? Look, it's really needs to be looked at at a state and federal level. We're trying as a local council as hard as we can to deliver some affordable housing. But when you have property uh, market that is as inflated as ours, that land cost is always going to make whatever investment uh, not affordable for people on low incomes. But it, And this isn't just affecting people on low incomes, of course, but um, it's impossible to deliver the way that it is. Sarah, you're also a high school teacher. Tell us about the impact that you see with some of the kids that you're teaching and their families. In the region, you'll find kids in in year 11 and 12 that are having to, midway through their HSC, move to, you know, houses in Lismore, uh, Kyogle, Wardell uh, and Yukai, meaning that they've got to travel sort of two hours each way to and from school. Uh, All their things like their afternoon job or the sporting activities that they've engaged with since our kids are no longer accessible to them. Uh, It's putting enormous pressure on families who just can't find anywhere to live, even if they've both got jobs. What are you hearing from other local councils and, and what do you think can possibly be done to help locals who are in this situation? We're in a housing emergency right now and I guess on the ground we need to have some action, whether that involves utilising backpacker accommodation that's currently empty or creating more caravan parks or just things that can band-aid the situation. But really we need sort of on a national level tax reform around how housing's viewed instead of it being a commodity. It's a human right. Everybody in Australia needs a roof over their head. We all know that. But it's set up at the moment that it's a winner's game and the cost to the community, the opportunity lost from people who, you know, spend their lives stressing about their housing uh, is huge. And of course, all the social ramifications of that. Yeah, there's going to have huge flow and effects socially that I just don't even think we can predict yet. That was Councillor Sarah Njai from Byron Bay Council, Tom. Yeah, speaking of predictions, let's find out where this might be headed. Uh, Tim McGibbon is the CEO of the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales. 
Tim, have you ever seen anything like this in regional housing markets? No. I mean, look, it's COVID-driven. There's no fear about that. Um, I think the penny dropped and people said, hey, I can work from home. So now where do I want home to be? I know you're in the business of, of selling houses, but what about the community pain that's being felt here? Like we're used to seeing gentrification in inner city areas, but now it seems like we're seeing it in country areas. For a lot of people, it will feel like the first time where they're really up against this kind of unbeatable Sydney and Melbourne debt fueled money. Yeah, I can assume that um, given that there is no heat coming out of the market, that I think we will continue during 2021 to see people exploring the options of, uh, of living in regional areas. And, you know, that's, uh, that is obviously putting pressure on prices and rents uh, in those areas. I think we'll, we'll see that continue. The market has done exactly opposite to what everybody thought it was going to do. We had people predicting that it would uh, crash by 30%, and I think it was one of the more outlandish comments. But in fact, it's performing better than, um, than people have seen for quite a while. And in some cases, better than, uh, than people have ever seen. I've had agents say to me they've had the best month, that different months over the last six months, that is, than they've ever had. That was Tim McGibbon from the Real Estate Institute. Katrina, it doesn't look like this is going to get any easier anytime soon because there seems to be, you know, driven by these low interest rates, such a a strong surge in in all of our housing markets. And gosh, what do you do? Do you have two prices? One for locals who have invested some, you know, social capital into the community and another for blow-ins? Like, what do you do here? We almost need like an extra subsidy for people who offer something to the community. I guess that's where the idea of affordable or discounted housing comes in, but there's just nowhere near enough of it, you know. Our largely capitalist system just delivers houses to the highest bidder and there's not enough mechanisms to create affordable housing for people. I think, though, super important to have chats like this, especially, you know, when you're going on holidays in places like Byron and you don't necessarily see the impact that your decisions to holiday there or to buy your beach house, if, you, if you're certainly in that market for one, I'm not, but <laughs> what, what the flow and effects of that will have. Yes, you um, multi-millionaire briefing listeners, <laughs> shame on you. and please let us stay in your accommodation (laughs) (laughs) we'll be well behaved tomorrow on the briefing freezing your eggs listener